Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, and I'm joined by John Ronaldo. John, how's it going? Good, man. I'm still in Colorado Springs at the, the end of the very end of the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministries annual membership meeting. So by the time this episode is recorded, it'll be a couple weeks out. But it has been a busy, fun, and a very tiring week. I always walk away from meetings like this exhausted. And so I am exhausted. And you're supposed to say, but it wasn't the same without you, or it would have been better if you were here. <laughs> Thanks, John. But it wasn't so the same without you, Chris. If you were here, I would be so much more energized and I'd be going home just, you know, skipping. That's awesome. That's awesome, John. <laughs> Thanks. I really, uh, I think our audience really bought into it that time. But um, no, one of the great things about you being out in Colorado Springs uh, at this event is we've been able to get a couple of guests on, um, you know, on the show and uh, talk about things, you know, out of our expertise. And, and, and that's what we want to do with this church podcast, right, is we want to talk all things ministry. And sometimes that means going beyond what you and I know. And, and so we have a special guest today. Why don't you uh, tell everyone who is standing right next to you in that empty conference hotel room. Yeah, we're, we're like in the lobby of a conference center right now in a hotel. So no, but standing right next to me is a very good man, someone who I've looked up to for many years, just for his wisdom, his intellect, and also his spirituality. I have with me Robert Fiducia. Robert, thank you so much for being here today, man. I thank really, you. really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my honor. And, and Chris, it's good to see you virtually. Yes, yes. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely... Uh, have to connect sometime in person. Uh, yeah. Usually, usually that, that happens after John introduces me to someone virtually. <laughs> I end up seeing them before I see John again in, in person. So anyway, uh, yes. Well, one of, the, uh, one of Robert's expertise is, is around liturgy. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about mm -hmm. the idea of mm -hmm. liturgy and looking at it through the lens of evangelization, yeah. which has very much been a theme for us here on the Church Podcast. Right. So, yeah. so before we delve into that, tell us a little bit about your background and how sure. you kind of got to where you are today in your ministry experience. Yeah. First of all, again, thank you for, for hosting me on, on, on a topic, and, and I'm very honored that you called me an expert in it. Um, <laughs> but, what I, but what I really am is, is just someone curious about it. And so I, I kind of couch everything that I'm going to say is that this is coming from curiosity and in, in my own my own reading and my own conversations with with people I would count as experts. So that that's just where I am as someone who's really curious, wants to learn and, and wants to move as, as, as we all do with, with the mind of the church and then the heart of the church. So with that, why am I curious about it? Um, I, I want to go back to my early days, really, it, it, once I was full on, like saying that I want to seek God's will for my life first. It was, it was just the power of, of worship and the power of liturgy. And there's a scripture, I believe it's, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, that says, gazing upon the Lord with unfailed faces, faces we are transformed from glory to glory. Is that there is something that happens as we are in the presence of the Lord, most explicitly in the Eucharistic liturgy, that we're transformed by that. That, that uh, just really stuck with me. So that being a, a real root scripture for me, I, I was a seminarian and was at um, St. Meinrad uh, Seminary, where the Benedictine tradition of liturgy just spoke to my heart. It kind of 
tamed and brought formation to this chaotic, urgent desire I had for, for worship, where I'm sure I would have been like part of the, you know, that anything goes kind of, kind of a thing. It brought formation, it brought beauty, it brought discipline to, to liturgy. So that, that's my, that was my first like formative time with the Benedictine monks. From there, I discerned not to be, uh, not to go on for, for ordination. I was a parish youth minister. And after that, um, I, I went back on staff at St. Meinrad and long story, just bottom line, I was able to be the founding director of One Bread, One Cup, which is a youth liturgical leadership program. So there I brought in different partners, including Oregon Catholic Press, and that is when Spirit and Song was getting going. Again, long story short, um, I was uh, offered a position to be the general manager of Spirit and Song after several years at St. Meinrad. So then I was in um, worship music publishing for a while. Um, I'm originally from the South, from Mississippi. My wife is from Charlotte, North Carolina, and we just discerned that we needed to get back South. So now I'm with Declan Weir Productions. Uh, Declan Weir Productions is the production company that works closely with the USCCB and then also with uh, the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry. So we're the production company that has done NCYC, um, National Catholic Youth Conference, the U National Youth Ministers Conference. And, uh, and, and so particularly, I, I wanna take a look at, at what goes on in the liturgy. So that, that's kind of a, a brief but long timeline of how I got to, to where I am. You know. That's great. And one of the things that resonated with me about what you just said is, is how transforming liturgy is. Yes. Now, I always joke when I give workshops or talk about liturgy, it's like, you know, for me, my spirituality, you know, if the music's bad, if the hospitality's bad, if the homily's bad, I am still transformed because of Eucharist, right? So summit. Now, that's not an excuse for us, right? You that's know, right. In terms of how well we do liturgy. So, but I always joke because it is transforming. That's right. But we know that not everybody is there. And so, you know, at that point, so in terms of evangelization, what role does liturgy play? And, and what are some of the things that as liturgists, as people in the field of ministry need to be thinking about mm -hmm. in terms of how we do liturgy for the chief aim of evangelization? Yeah. All right. So I, I go back to, to the inaugurative um, homily that, that Pope Benedict gave. He quoted John Paul II in saying that Vatican II is still our compass as we move ahead into this new millennium. So I take that very seriously. And there are people who kind of are, are dismissive of this phrase, and I'm very sensitive to it as well, and that is the spirit of the council. And that was kind of like anything goes, like well, this is in the spirit of the council. And we're trying to be, go back to the, to the source and saying, what was Vatican II all about? It did this. The spirit of the council is to position the church for its mission. Because prior to the council, there was the idea that there were Catholic countries and then there were missionary territories. The radical thing that Vatican II did is it said wherever there is the church, there is the fullness of missionary activity. Okay, so Poland, Ireland, Italy, at those times, very Catholic countries, not considered missionary territory. Vatican II said, no, that's also missionary territory. All needs to be evangelized. So again, I, and I, I apologize if I'm getting, if I just go off and I'm off on a tangent, pull me back in if, if that happens. Some friends of mine have expressed this, um, a, a bit of consternation that the lead document 
was Sancrosantum Concilium. That's the first document that came out of Vatican II. It was our liturgy document, our worship document. Their concern was is that it, it, what needed to happen was the long reflection of the council and you end with that. But I would prefer to think of it like this, is it showed the importance of worship. But then to properly understand it, we have to look back at what was the last document that came out. The last documents promulgated was the church in the modern world and Agentis. Agentis articulated our missionary stance in the world. So we look back through everything that, the, that came before it through that lens, which means we interpret Sancrosantum Concilium through the lens of the missionary activity of the church. And then we know we went into Paul VI with Evangelii Nuziandi and all that. So we are positioned to be evangelistic. And so there is a missionary component to the liturgy. Hmm. Were, were you, John, I believe you went to, to, um, uh, to one of the CRS, Catholic Relief Services trips, the call to witness trips. Where, where, did, where did you go? I went to Ecuador. We spent a lot of time in Quito and Cuenca and Guayaquil. Okay. So I, I was also a, part of one of those trips and I got to go to Ghana. And, and this just was kind of humorous to me. Um, so I'm in Ghana, we're, we're at the liturgy. And there were liturgies we had there where there was no melodic instrument. It was only rhythmic instrument. It was only drums. So I, I don't know how they knew, knew to, what to sing, but they knew what melody to sing based on the rhythms. So all these drums, I mean, just drums galore. I come back to the States and here's somebody writes a blog, four ways to kill the liturgy. Number one, use drums, you know? Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. So now I, I, I am not necessarily saying we've got to use drums. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying what, what the church did is positioned us to be flexible in our liturgy to incorporate culture. So the, the, the point that I'm making is, is that we're, there's a great flexibility in the Roman rite. And, and what it allows for is for cultural expressions, but not just for the sake of like, well, let's jazz up the liturgy. It's for the sake of engagement, for the sake of evangelization. And, and there, there is, it's very clear that, that the church has in mind that, that there is an evangelistic aspect to the liturgy. Some people would deny that, but I, I look um, at, at our Holy Father and, and what, um, what Pope Francis has said, and he says that, that the joy of evangelization is expressed in the liturgy. He said that in Evangelii Gaudium. So there, there clearly is this missionary mandate that comes forth from the liturgy that we're drawing in, in the culture in order to evangelize, not to spice up the liturgy because it's boring. That's not it. But it is to engage the hearts and minds of people. So go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say that, that that's really interesting. I, I, so just to clarify, mm -hmm. it, to, uh, to incorporate the culture makes it evangelization, but it's not necessarily to spice things up, right? Right, absolutely. And so like in the United States, right, where that can be a very fine line, right, between entertainment and engagement or entertainment and evangelization, right? <laughs> we have a very entertaining culture. <laughs> right, because we have a very entertaining culture. So, um, you know, what, what are your, like without, you know, saying like, I recommend this song or this or this type of, you know, element or that, like, how do we discern that? What's the, what's the process to discern between 
um, evangelization and entertainment. Yeah, that, that, that really is. I, I think that's the heart of the question. Um, right. Because where I see liturgy going bad, two ways. One, you don't know the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Two, you don't know your people. Right. And, and there are so many cases. Let me give you the, the best example. Of, of like liturgy gone amok. And it was at a whole, or excuse me, an Ash Wednesday liturgy. And nothing against this composer, nothing against this song, it's the use. It was the Song of the Body of Christ by David Haas, which has the line in it. And it's, it's all, of, it's filled with Easter imagery. And then it says, and hallelujah is our song. Oh, right. Okay. So then <laughs> I go to the liturgist afterwards. I went, why did we use that song? Oh, the people love it. They sing it. Well, then you, you, you've erred. You don't know the liturgy. Right. You know, so if you're using songs that are inappropriate for season, inappropriate for moment, then you don't know the liturgy and what the liturgy mm. demands. Mm. So the second thing is, though, is where does liturgy go wrong if you don't know your people? And that's why we, we use the language pastoral musicians. There's a, there's a friend of mine, uh, Casey McKinley, I'll call him out on, on this, and he's in Long Beach, California. And his church is almost literally in the shadow of Saddleback. And so Saddleback, he knows, it kind of sets the tone for, for the Christian expression that is in that part of Southern California. So if they are using songs and that has infiltrated into the, into the culture, then he feels the need to incorporate those where it's liturgically appropriate. Mm -hmm. Songs that are meeting, meeting what the, the, the three judgments that are in sing to the Lord, the pastoral judgment, the liturgical mm -hmm. judgment, the musical judgment. Mm -hmm. So there's, I, I often feel like we approach liturgy as a science when it is an art. And the art is knowing the liturgy intimately, living it, breathing it, your spirituality is wrapped up in it, and yet you have a burning passion for souls and the people who are within your community. Mm. Um, and, and just if I, if I can say this about, about um, Sing to the Lord, because some people dismiss that document because it's not a universal document, right? So, so uh, walk with me on this. Paragraph 22 in Sacrosanctum Concilium, paragraph 22, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is a dogmatic constitution. It gave the authority to regulate music to the local Episcopal authority, which for us is the USCCB. The USCCB released that document, Sing to the Lord. Is it a dogmatic document? No, it's not. But the authority by which the USCCB released that document is dogmatic. Mm. They dogmatically have the authority to regulate the music here. So it, it would be wrong for us to skip over Sing to the Lord and to grab another, another document because they have the authority to regulate what, what we do. Let me see. What, what I really, that's really powerful to me because, you know, there are people that think that the Roman Missal, that the liturgical rite is a box, yeah. right? That, that's confining. And in some cases it is. It, it really is, is a rubric around how we move forward through the liturgy. And there are some elements to that. But what you're saying, at least how I'm attributing you need to know liturgy. And the more you know liturgy, you know how freeing it is at the same time, that there are these... I don't want to even use the term box because that's limiting. 
But the more you know something, the more freeing it is in how you, you use and how you act on that. Tell me a little bit more about that. What are your thoughts about that idea? Because I think there's a lot of people that need to hear yeah. this idea, like, I've got to follow this to the letter of the law. And, well, yes and no. Tell us more about yeah. that. Great question. I'd like to, I want to go back to the African example that, that we were using. Since the Second Vatican Council, the, and I wish I had my stats with me, but the Catholic population has exploded in Africa and in Asia. And it's not in spite of enculturation, it's because of enculturation. There are those, and this is a great argument to have, and I don't want to sound so dogmatic myself. I, I really want to encourage dialogue because how we worship is so important. So those who have a differing opinion, heavens, please correct me. I would love to talk through it. But my reading of the documents would, would, be, would be this, that there are those who, like we have in, in the other, other churches that are in communion with Rome, the Maronite Rite, Melkite, um, and then like Ukrainian, and they have the unchanging, like these chants are what we do at the liturgy. They represent 2% of the churches that are in communion with Rome. But our church has been exploding and it's because the Roman rite allows for flexibility. And yes, there is a Roman manner by which we do liturgy. And yes, Gregorian chant is proper to that liturgy, but it does not say that that is the only way to do it. This is proper to the liturgy. So we, I go to this, this quote, and it, it says that, um, that all things being equal, Gregorian chant holds pride of place. This by no means excludes other forms of music, provided that they, one, correspond to the spirit of the liturgy, knowing the liturgy, and two, lead to the fully conscious and active participation of the faithful. So you use Gregorian chant, all things being equally, equally does what? Lead to the fully conscious and active participation of the people. Now, there are those who do say that that doesn't mean that people sing everything. That's not my reading of the documents. Because in Sacrosanctum Concilium, um, paragraph 7, if I'm remembering correctly, it says that there are four, four modes that Christ is present in the liturgy. In the word proclaimed, in his minister, the priest, and then um, in the par excellence, the Eucharistic elements. The fourth, it gets misquoted because people will often say, and in the people. That's not what it says. It says, when the people pray and sing. Suplicat it salit. When they sing and salit is, a, is sing accompanied by plucked instrument in Latin. So there is, the mandate is to prayerfully sing. Not just have your heart lifted. It is a fully bodily experience in the, in the liturgy. So that's what, so if Gregorian chant does that, then hallelujah. And there are people who have the, who feel the burden of the, their mission is to make Gregorian chant equal to all other songs and leading to that. That is a very fine, very fine effort. And I would never criticize anybody for that. But right now, there is flexibility in the right in order to engage people where they are and what will lead them. That's why you have to know the liturgy. You have to know your people. 
my mind just exploded. I, I know, I know. I'm, uh, I'm just like listening. Uh, we, we, we could have this discussion for hours. Well, I, I could like listen to this discussion for hours because I mean, like it's, it's such a hot tub, um, hot button subject. It is local church ministry. I mean, you know, Robert, I'm not sure how familiar you are with my background, but mm-hmm. I worked at church of the nativity for 12 years, yes. rebuilt church. And, you know, uh, um, uh, we we knew our audience really well, Timonium Tim, and and mm-hmm. you know, the music we were using is exactly what uh, he was reaching. I'm two miles down the road at a very different church, um, you know, large Hispanic population, and um, you know, uh, uh, actually Filipino and Eastern European, and uh, you know, uh, people who've been in Baltimore forever, which is a whole other culture, right? <laughs> and, um, it's and, a bad culture, hon. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you got it done. You got it done. So uh, there's this tension, you know, when it comes to the liturgy, because it's very multicultural. And I would say probably our biggest challenge is identifying who our, like, mission field is. or If you can even narrow it down to, like, one person, which you can't. You can't. And so I think there are a lot of churches in a similar situation to that where it's not homogeneous um, in their community. And um, depending on how old the church is, depending on um, the, uh, the economics and the demographics around it, that makes it a very debatable subject. So in a church that's very, uh, let's just, you know, not a mixing pot necessarily in cultural, yeah. in culture, but in, in many different things, like what, where, where would be a good place to start uh, to address that? Yeah, that, I, I think that really is the wrestling that, that we have in the, in the U.S., you know, and and I know that there, are, <clears throat> pardon me, that there are people um, who would say, well, now because of that, that's why we should use Latin chants, and uh, because that is unifying. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good argument. It really is. You know, so I I know that when when you had been in the nativity, there was basically modern worship for the four song sandwich, as it's called, and right. then did utilize. Latin for um, for the ordinaries. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I do uh, that. That there's something that that we can unify around. So I mean, I'm not I, as you can tell. I mean, I'm not being dogmatic about well, well, doggone it. Therefore, drums. You know, right. I, I'm right. not. I'm not saying that. Not by any means. I am saying though that 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 can be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Trumps and electric guitar and any kind of amplified instrument that can be appropriate, provided that it it is rendered, as the documents say, rendered liturgically. You right. Know? Um, so, but I, I do want in in the diversity that that's there in in the parish like yours. Um, I'll offer this from a devotional standpoint. I mean, my own spirituality has been enhanced by Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm. Well, uh, let's bring that to the table. What is authentic to your culture and to your spirituality? Please bring that to benefit all of us because we are, that this is part of, as Pope Francis has said, this is part of the change of epoch that we're in. We're in, we're moving into this unknown, unknown world. It can be very painful. And I'm using this analogy a lot, just all over church right now. And that's, that's about the wineskins. We, we've, I believe what we're what what some attempts have been done is to patch old wine skins and it's kind of ripping apart. Mm. But the but the new wine is still there and the new wine is coming. 
and it's finding the new wineskins because, as, again, as Pope Francis says, we're at not in an epoch of change, but the change of an epoch. And that's going to require us doing things in a, in a new way. And it has to do some of that with there's a new culture that, that's emerging that is, that is coming from these different cultures and something new is going to emerge. So tell me, I'm a pastor, I'm a pastoral musician, I'm a faith formation director, a youth ministry coordinator, uh, a, a, a liturgist. What are some practical action items based on what we've just talked about? What are some practical action items that you think that we should begin to take, uh, you know, for fear of being too generic because we don't know fully who our audience is, but in every parish is different. Yeah. But what are some things that we as pastoral ministers in the field on the ground, in the church, should be considering doing based on this conversation? Yeah. And this, this can be, you know, such, such a platitude. And I, don't, I don't mean it to be, but do, do you know your people? You know, are you, are you talking to them, to them regularly? Do you know what their spirituality is? Do you know how they're praying? Do you know what, what, what's, on their, what's on their hearts and minds? Because I'm, I, I'm kind of reducing this this conversation to the music in the liturgy but there's i mean the, the the preaching you know we just see it time and time again is what what's the what, what, that is preaching and music that, that matter just being as pastoral musicians being in relationship with your people not just your choir members but your people again how do you pray what's on your mind what has spoken to you um, what what songs are, are are ministering to you right now? Is that appropriate? Are those, are those appropriate to bring into the liturgy? Perhaps they they are. Again, it, it it's so it can be such a platitude, but but I mean it very seriously. To to be in relationship and to and to listen, you know, and then to dive in more deeply into the liturgy as as well. So that's where the formula is. That's, that's for me, one of the takeaways that I'm now inspired, like I need to go back to the documents because mm -hmm. even just what you said about the, the, full, the, the, the liturgy of the word, the Eucharist, the, the priest, and then the people, I used to say that all the time, right? And now I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, like I've been saying it wrong, right? <laughs> which, is, which is fine. It's, it's learning. <clears throat> I want to delve back into the documents yes. more deeply because I, I'm now even more, I already knew this, but now I know even more that I don't know enough about this. I haven't yeah. delved into it enough. And so, I mean, I would say one action item is it's let's also delve into those yes. know, documents again, I, all the ones that you named. You. And we'll try to link them on the show notes for you. Um, if you go to churchpodcast.org, um, we'll have it for this episode of the podcast. We'll have links to some of those documents that, that you can find. So I got my work cut out. I got to go find those and get links <laughs> to them. So. And, and John, me too. Like that, that's it is to remain really rooted in those, in those documents. Oh, man. Th th those three, really in particular, um, which would be Sacrosanctum Concilium, Gaudium et Spes, which is also a dogmatic, it's a constitution, and people get dismissive of, of Gaudium et Spes, but it is, it's a constitution. And then Agentis, that really gives a vision for how, how are we to live in this radically secularized world that, that we're finding ourselves in. Mm. Living in that as a missionary, that then gets expressed liturgically. That's so awesome. Wow, the great! Th this has been a great conversation. We're gonna we're gonna have to get you back on the show um, at another time because, uh, like you said, we we really spent most of the time just addressing music and the liturgy, and there's so much more to it, right? Like we're yeah. So, um, but uh, hey, Robert, uh, um, 
uh, or, or I guess first, John, any final questions that you might have? Or, or, no, my final question is where can people find out more yeah. about you and the work that you do, social media, websites, anything you want to share yeah. with folks? So I, I, I try to keep everything to the spelling of my uh, complicated last name. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, if I could, so I, uh, it's Robert, uh, hopefully that's easy, R-O-B-E-R-T. And then my last name is spelled F-E-D-U-C-C-I-A. So Robert Fiducia. Um, and so I'm on Instagram at just at Robert Fiducia, Twitter, same thing. And then my website is robertfiducia.com. And we'll have links for you guys on the show notes as well to, to all those as well. So definitely. Very definitely. Cool. Well, thank you again, Robert, for thank being you, a part of the show and, uh, and, and just sharing your wisdom. And I, uh, two big takeaways are the fact of, uh, that I take is don't be afraid to be curious, you know, uh, you know, and, and just explore these documents. And, and then secondly, uh, be creative. Liturgy is not, a, it's not the science, it's the creative creativity. It's the sandbox. It's the canvas that God has given us. And, and so explore that for sure. Um, so uh, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, if you want to check out more about this show and, and check out our show notes, go to the church uh, If you want to follow John, you can find him at John Ronaldo.com uh, or at, with the parish success group. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, not Snapchat or Pinterest, uh, but you can find them uh, at all those places. You can find me at MarathonYouthMinistry.com um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Marathon Youth Ministry as well. Um, again, Robert, thank you so much. And if we may be so bold to ask you, can you close us in prayer? I will. Now, I, I, I do pray in liturgy, Spraka, so hopefully everyone will, <laughs> will understand that. Awesome. Yeah, so awesome. Let's, let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God, our Father, you did feed your people Israel in the desert with manna. And you led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. We ask that you feed us and that you lead us and that you guide us. God, we pray that our hearts would burn for mission because... Anything that we do in worship, Lord, let it be for a burning passion for you and a burning passion for souls. Help us to fall more deeply in love with your son, Jesus, and to go forth from the liturgy with a burning desire to evangelize so that all may know you as their father, as their love. We pray all these things through Christ who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.